Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, if you want to open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. I want to talk to you about what God is looking for this morning. What God is looking for. Uh, Anybody here ever lost anything? Who here frequently loses things? My wife. (laughs) Uh, Solid burn. Solid burn. Anybody here ever lost their keys or their wallet? It's, it's, can I just talk to you key losers for a moment? If you just put them in the same, when you come in the house, hang them up. You'll find, they'll be there. Yeah. But maybe, maybe you've lost your keys or maybe you lost your wallet or maybe you lost your phone. Uh, anybody, anybody here in the room who's a guy knows that before you leave the house, you, you tap three pockets, don't you? Wallet, keys, phone, and then you go, right? Every day, I'm like, wallet, keys, phone, I'm good. Okay, here we go. Yeah, you just lose things. I remember when, when Heather and I were younger parents, anybody who's a parent knows this as well. There's that moment when you go to Target and you're doing your thing, you look up and you can't find a kid. And that's just a real sinking feeling. I just want to tell you, that's a sinking. And where's the kid? In the clothes rack, every time. They do this, right? Like, and that, but I just want to tell you, there's like that, 15 seconds and it's just the worst feeling like when you when you lose something and and you, you have to find it I also remember when I was a kid uh, I once lost a hundred dollar bill and for a kid that's like a million dollars I mean it's not a hundred it's a million you know and I remember at the time another friend and I we were working for a farmer and he paid us 425 an hour you know, we thought we were big stuff. I had a hundred dollars and I lost it. That hurt. I mean, I was damaged after that. Well, I guess I wanted to start there because uh, here's what I want to tell the church this morning. Uh, God is also looking for something. You know, God is somebody who looks for something. I was reading this passage this week and just became aware of the fact that God is a searcher as well. But one of the things that the New Testament tells us is that God is also somebody who's looking for something. But the difference is, is that God doesn't look for things. He's always looking for people. And there's a couple of places in the New Testament where this becomes very clear. One is in this series of stories that Jesus tells in Luke 15. Jesus tells these three stories right back to back to back. And he says that in the first story, there's, there's this woman who looks for a lost coin. And when she finds it, she gets really happy and all of her neighbors get happy too. And then the second story, there's a shepherd who loses a sheep. He's got a hundred, but he loses one. And he leaves the 99 to go to find the one, which is just like really bad shepherding. Because anybody else who's a decent farmer would just be like, a 1% loss is not all that bad. But in, in the kingdom of heaven, you go and look for the one, you know? And then the final story that Jesus tells is he tells the story about a lost son. And uh, he tells the story that at the end of the story, the dad is on, he's on the lookout for his son, you know? He's, he's like 
looking at the horizon every day, like, where's my kid? Finally, he comes home. And the point of these stories is that um, God is not looking for things, but he's looking for people. And one of the things that Jesus says that God is looking for is he's looking for lost people. He's looking for lost coins. Uh, he's looking for lost sheep. And he's looking for lost sons and daughters. And that's the point. Like God is somebody who's looking for things. You're know, like, you're looking for your keys. God's looking for lost people. And uh, so I guess what I wanted to say up front here this morning is like, if you're, if you're just a lost person this morning, <clears throat> and I'm not even talking like all degrees of lost, you know, there's a million degrees of lost. Uh, maybe, maybe you're on the ACDC highway to hell. <laughs> Have I ever gone to the gym when they didn't play highway to hell? You know, never, you know, but maybe you're on the highway to hell. God's looking for you, uh, but maybe, you're, maybe it's not that extreme. Maybe it's less significant than that, but you've just sort of like lost your way in some in, in some manner of life, you know? Maybe you don't know who you are anymore. Maybe you used to be one thing and now you're another and you're not super proud of it or happy. And I, I just want you to know, like God is looking for you. God is looking for you. And he has a welcome for you. But that's not the only thing God is looking for. So number one, God is looking for lost people. But this is not the only thing he's looking for. So I want to read the scriptures this morning. Cody, let's just start with John chapter 4. We're going to read several scriptures, and then we're going to land in a, a moment here at the end. Um, Jesus comes to this well, and he sends his disciples off to get some food, and then he's there alone. And he meets a Samaritan woman. And he says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. A lot going on there. They didn't like each other. It's like, it's, it's just, you know, they didn't get along. Next slide. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he'd given you living water. We're just flipping here all of a sudden. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everybody who drinks out of this Jacob well is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the, and the woman said to him, this is great. Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and keep coming here and working my brains out, pulling it up out of this deep well. She said something like that. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you have to fill in, right? And he told her, now notice here, notice how quickly all of a sudden this conversation is changing. Like they've been talking about water, living water. You don't have a bucket. Please give me some. Ah, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for a drink. Sir, give me your living water. Verse 16, hard turn. Hey, why don't you go get your husband and come back? And she says to him, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. 
What you've just said is really true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Like you just feel the screws are getting turned here. Like I thought we were talking about getting a, I thought you wanted a cup of water, Jesus. Why are you talking to me about my life? Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Read for that at the temple. And then here's our main text this morning. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they're the kind of worship, they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship it in spirit and in truth. I hope you notice in 23 there, uh, the other thing that God is looking for is he's looking for worshipers. God's looking for lost people, but he's also looking for worshipers. You know, God is omni-everything. Well, he knows all the things. He knows about you, and he knows about me. Uh, Jesus even says this wonderful thing at one point in the Gospels. He says, God even knows the number of hairs you have on your head. Some of you, it's a zero. It's like really easy. It's like zero. But for those of you who still have hair on your head, he knows. And not only does he know every hair on your head, he knows all the intimate details of your life. Like God's got all the omnis in check. And nothing escapes his eye. But beyond the part of the scriptures that show us that God is on the search uh, for some specific things, specific things like lost people, uh, there's, there's some other things that get his attention. And one of the things that gets God's attention is worshipers. Jesus says in John chapter 4, 23, that God is on the look out for worshipers. And so here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about being one of those people that God is looking for. Like he's, he's looking for something. And I want to talk to you about being a worshiper uh, because, because of this. This is like the main reason. Because it's your, it's your main purpose in life. And if, you, and if you fail to be a worshiper, if you fail to be a worshiper, you, you, you forfeit the main purpose for which you were created and, and, and made to live. Like it'd be a real shame to, to live your 80 years and never do or be the thing that you were called to do and to be. Uh, we've read the passage this morning, but I just want to like skip like a stone because there's just kind of a lot of stuff happening there. Uh, here's, what, here's what we've read so far. It goes something like this. Jesus meets this, this woman at the well and they're there alone uh, right away. Tons of social taboos because men and women uh, at this time, they don't share private moments together. That would just call into question not only the woman's morality, but also Jesus's morality. Like, so there's just like tons of stuff there. Uh, secondly, you've got Jews and Samaritans, deep social, cultural, and ethnic divisions right on display, right? So there's all this stuff. And some of it pops through in the passage. And 
Jesus is there and he's waiting on this guy to get back and he, he sees her drawing water. He says, hey, why don't you give me some water? And uh, it shocks the woman because she's like, who's this man who's talking to me? Like, number one, you're a Jew, shouldn't talk to you. And number two, you're a man and nobody else is around. You shouldn't be talking to me. And she says, you know what? Uh, this well's really deep, but if you're going to get a drink, you, you'd need a bucket and you don't have one. And he's like, well, here's the truth, lady. If you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for some water because I have something that would change you from the inside and you'll never be thirsty again. And then she says, well, you know, I don't know what to do about that. And then Jesus starts to turn up the heat. And when Jesus turns up the heat, he does so by asking her about her husband. Now, there's two things happening here. Like, on the surface, number one, Jesus is probably signaling to her, uh, we should just, you know, I understand, the, I understand the social unconvention of the moment we're having right now and that a, a man and a woman are having a private conversation alone, right? So Jesus is saying, like, go get your husband. Let's just make this moment kosher. But the second thing that's going on in this passage, and it's the deeper and the realer thing, is that Jesus is putting his finger right on the softest spot of that woman's life. He's like, why don't you go get your husband? I'd like to talk to him. Let's make this moment kosher, right? And in doing so, the lady's like, oh, I don't have, I don't have a husband. He's like, oh, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. In fact, let's just get all the way down to the quick. You've had five, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Uh, what Jesus is really saying to her is, lady, your sexual ethics are out of whack. He goes right to, he goes right to the thing, just like right to it. He's like, Dur. and I hope you notice that when Jesus puts his finger on the thing that no one wants exposed, when Jesus puts his finger right there, did you notice that she instantly changes the subject? She goes, she goes oh, hey, uh, so I can tell you're a prophet. Uh, talk to me. Should we worship on the mountain that my people worship on? Or should we worship on the Jew mountain with the temple? And that's actually a really important detail, right? Like, so Jesus goes right at the main issue and then she changes the subject. She's like, oh, prophet, let's have a technical theological discussion about where true worship happens. And then we come to the passage that I really wanted to dig into today. And it's the moment when Jesus says, well, here's the thing. God's looking for worshipers, but they're a particular kind of worshiper. So number one, God's looking for worshipers. If this is something that God is looking for, and if the other thing that God is looking for is lost people, uh, it, it tells me that this is of central importance to your life. Like these, the thing that these two moments share in common, lost people and the fact that God is looking for worshipers, the thing that connects them is high importance. Uh, one of the things we know from the New Testament is that God doesn't desire that anyone would be lost, but he has a heart that everybody would come into his house. So that's like super important. And then if he's also looking for worshipers, that just tells me, oh, this must be like really important. You and I were made... For worship. Human beings were made for this purpose. And, and by the way, when we talk about worship here, we're talking about more than a song. Like here at the vineyard, we often talk about worship in terms of songs, but, 
But the worship that God is looking for is more than a song. It's the orientation of your life. And it goes something like this. If we were to really boil it down the way that we've sort of understood it here at this vineyard for the last 20 some odd years is something like this. Uh, Worship is is this. Uh, There is a God in heaven. I am not him and he is good. It's, it's that third part that really matters. Like, what, what is worship? Uh, it, is, it is the awakening to, that there, to the fact that there is a God, that I am not him, but he is good. That's the basis for worship. And so worship is the resonance that happens outside of that data. There is a God, I'm not him, he is good. Everything that should come forth outside of that data is the real stuff. Now, given that, given that there is a God that he's good, what sort of response would you and I have? Well, it's a particular kind of worshiper. Uh, Jesus says two things in this passage about the sort of worshiper that he's looking for. Uh, He's looking for a worshiper uh, who worships in spirit and in truth. God is is a spirit, so the worship has to be in spirit. But, but But there's more that we could say about that. And from the context of the passage, we could say maybe a couple things about being a worshiper in spirit. Uh, notice that when Jesus begins to put his finger on the issues of her life, she wanted to have a technical theological conversation, right? Uh, should we worship on this mountain or that mountain? And Jesus is like, uh, listen, lady, we're not going to worship on either mountain. Like the real worship isn't on the mountain. And so basically what Jesus is saying is something like this. If you want to worship in spirit, it, it's not about a place, right? So it's not about your mountain or my mountain. And the Jewish mountain would have been a temple, right? It, it, like true spirit worship is not about a location. It's not about a place. It's not about a building. And if we were to maybe even zone out a little bit more, it's not about a tradition. True worship isn't, isn't just bound to the tradition that you grew up in or the tradition that you didn't have when you were growing up. True worship isn't about like, uh, is it Baptist or is it charismatic? Uh, True worship isn't like, is it loud or is it quiet? Uh, It isn't like, do we have to go to a conference or do we have to have like a a special speaker or or something like that, a better band? Like none of that clicks the box. Like it's not on your mountain. It's not in our temple. It's not that. It's, It's something else. It's not about the place. And so for us here at the Vineyard, I just want to say a few things. Number one, it's not about the song. Uh, It's not about a conference. It's not about a podcast or your favorite YouTube preacher. In fact, those things will probably get in the way of true worship. That's actually what Jesus is saying. Uh, It's not about a particular tradition. It's not about loud or quiet. It's not about liturgy or spontaneity. Uh, Those things may help or they may actually get in the way. Here's what true worship is in spirit. It's about a heart that's sincerely bent toward God. Like true worship happens where people bent toward God, you know? And that can happen anywhere. It also means this, that you could be in the right place and be a million miles from God. You could stand in the Holy of Holies and be a million miles away from God. This woman, this woman is standing face to face with Jesus and is unaware of who is in front of her, right? It's a heart sincerely bent toward God. And so this morning, I want to remind us to keep our hearts connected to God. Worshiping in spirit means coming to God with an open and a soft heart. And so what that means is that our confidence is not in a mountain or a building. Uh, Our confidence is not in a liturgy or a tradition. 
Our confidence is not even in our own preference. But our posture is simply a heart that comes humbly to God without hiding or posturing. That's what true worship is. Uh, This week when I was preparing for this message, I typed a few passages into ChatGPT. It's an amazing tool if you know how to use it. I was like, ChatGPT, tell me what Augustine, John Calvin, Jürgen Moltmann, and then I, I said, tell me what Beth Moore has to say about John chapter 24, verse 23. It goes, you know. Augustine, John Calvin, Jürgen Moltmann, Beth Moore. What does it mean to worship in spirit? The overlap is a heart that's open to God. Like a soft heart open to God. That's what it is. It's not a place. It's not a, it's not a convention. A posture that is open to God without hiding or posturing. That hiding or posturing part is actually like really important. It's the whole thing that this passage is about. Uh, again, did you notice that when Jesus begins to put his finger on the husband issue, which is, man, there's a lot there. There's just a ton there. But did you notice that when he does this, she wants to change the subject and have a technical theological conversation? Yeah. She wanted to change the subject. It's interesting to me that when she wanted to change the subject, the subject that she was using was God. I want to read you, I want to read you a, a quote from a book that we read as a church about a year and a half ago. Pete Scazzaro talks about this. He talks about using God to run from God. Like this is, this is one of the most spiritually, emotionally unhealthy things that religious people do all the time, especially charismatics. Look at this. Few killer viruses are more difficult to discern than this. On the surface, all appears to be healthy and working well, but it's not. This virus hides behind hours and hours spent reading one Christian book after another, engaging in endless Christian responsibilities outside the home, all that extra time devoted to prayer and Bible study. You might wonder how such things could be anything but good for the soul, But such Christian activities become detrimental when we use them in an unconscious attempt to escape pain. I'm using God to run from God when I create a great deal of God activity in order to avoid difficult areas areas in my life that God wants to change. What's happening? What is happening in John chapter four? Hey, tell me about your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. Well, you got five and the one you're with is not your husband. Uh, I see that you're a prophet. Should we worship on this mountain or in your temple? (laughs) It's this, right? It's like, hey, let's talk theology so we don't have to do what? Talk about my pain. And in that context, Jesus is like, here's what God is looking for. He's looking for worshipers who won't hide from him and who will worship in spirit and in truth, who will get outside of like the technical theological conversations and keep their heart open to him so that when he wants to address the pain in your life, he can do it. Like, what does it mean? And here's one of the things that I want to say to the vineyard. Like, if we want to be a church that actually worships for the next 50 years in spirit and truth, everyone in here is going to have to stop using God to run from God. 
It's like, it's like not a, it's not just a virus out there. It's a virus in here. Like sometimes God begins to put his finger on the pain issues in your, in, in your life. And, and let's just, let's just hold open the pain issues that are in this passage, sexual ethics, like God cares about how you're living. God cares about how everyone in here is living all the way down to the intimate details of our lives. You know, God really cares. It can keep you from being a worshiper in spirit and in truth. Like sexual ethics actually matter to God. Uh, not only that, but uh, our addictions or, or, or just the trauma that has come from our crazy upbringing. Like, like some of us in the room have experienced insane households and God has an opinion about it and he wants to bring healing. And when it surfaces, sometimes what we want to do is rather than let God surface it and heal it, we'll just like join another prayer group and read another book. He's like, hey, that's wonderful. I'm glad you're going to that prayer thing. But what I'd really like to do is heal you of your home issues that you've carried for 25 years. Can we talk about that? Notice the disconnect in the woman's actual life and the discussion she was able to have with Jesus. Worshiping in spirit and truth is worship without hiding. Worship in spirit is worship that's open to the invitation and the inspection of God. Some of us here hold back in worship. We hold back in our song or our posture or our joy. All kinds of reasons. Maybe it's because we feel condemned. Uh, Maybe we've lived lives previous that were, you know, not great. And we're like, I feel really condemned. Like, because I come into the presence of God and then all of a sudden it feels like God is exposing me. I, I want to tell you, uh, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is the wonderful thing to be exposed by Jesus. Like, this is hard, but it's really true. Like, it is a wonderful thing to have Jesus bring up the stuff in your life. And let me tell you, it's normal for it to come up in worship because that's what he does. God wants worshipers in spirit and truth, not fakers. And so sometimes what he has to do is get us down to the husband issue or the the addiction issue or the pain issue or the family issue or the money issue or the lying issue because he wants to deal with it. He wants worshipers in spirit and truth. Does this make sense? And so some of us, some of us are literally holding back in worship because as soon as you begin to like sing or change your posture or lean in, all of a sudden some stuff comes up. And sometimes the stuff that comes up is actually the adversary and it's the devil and it's the accuser. But sometimes it's the Holy Spirit and he's doing a John chapter four work in you and you can't avoid it anymore. Lean in and let him have it. Now here's the difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation says you are the problem. Conviction says you have a problem. It's very different. And the Holy Spirit will say to you, you have a problem. But the devil will say, you are the problem. Those are very, very different, right? Those are very, very different. And we need to pay attention to it because if the Spirit is saying to you, you have a problem, you just need to say, you are right. Please help me, right? The moment we, it begins to switch to, I am the problem, We've, we've gone away from God and, and we're listening to the voice of the accuser. So anybody here this morning who feels condemned or as though you have to have everything in your life right to be able to, to be a, an open and honest worshiper to God, it's really not true. In fact, it's, worship is going to surface the actual issues of your life and we can't keep using God to run from God. We need to lean in and let him inspect. Does this make sense? Okay. The spirit has to do with an open and unhiding heart 
before God. And truth has to do with God and his ways. Now, this passage is all about having reality match our lives in the direction of our heart and our worship. Uh, Jesus says this other thing in John chapter 15. He says, if you love me, you'll what? Obey my commandments. Like here at the vineyard, one of the things that you'll hear us say a lot uh, in prayer, or we sing it a lot, is we, we sing words like this, Jesus, I love you. And, and listen, we can never get away from that. Like Christian worship is devotional. It's meant to be. But if we ever disconnect the words, Jesus, I love you, from obeying Jesus's commands, we're just not Christians anymore. It's something, but it's just not. And so there, there's this sense in which Jesus himself says, your love for me, it's connected to obeying me. Okay, I just want to land here. One of the things that will happen, not just once in your life, but hopefully over and over, you know, as odd as it is, is that Jesus is going to circle in on the actual issues of your life. And not just once. Not just once. Jesus is going to circle in on the actual issues of your life. Like at the beginning, it may be a lot of the big stuff. You know, if you're an unchristian and you're sleeping with a bunch of people that you're not married to, uh, or even if you're sleeping with one person you're not married to, Jesus is going to put his finger on it and go, you know what? It's not it. Literally not it. It's in the passage. You want to love Jesus? Fix it. He will help you. There is grace. Uh, but then after you get these bigger stones moved out of the way, all these other things come up. And oftentimes it's like family stuff. Especially if you've been a Christian for a while and you start to have a family, the next thing that he wants to put his finger on is your family stuff. You know, he wants to like, hey, you know, you grew up with this stuff and now you're passing it on to your kids and it's not great. So you might want to consider this. Like Jesus will just keep putting his finger, you know, and then all of a sudden maybe you're doing decent in your career and then you got new anxieties. All your new insecurities show up, you know, or, or you get like super competitive. You just assume that your career is a zero sum game. And if somebody else in a department next to you uh, gets a, a bonus, it means that they're taking away from you. Well, that's not true. But you know what? You'll be tempted to believe it. <laughs> you just will. Or somebody on your team starts doing well, and you're like, that means I'm terrible. No, it doesn't. It just means they're doing well, and the team is good. Like, let's go. But all of a sudden, this stuff just keeps popping up, right? And then Jesus wants to put his finger on it. And here's what I wanted to say to the church this morning. We, we just want to lean into that. Part of what it means to be a worshiping community is it means to be living in the presence of Jesus where he can put his finger on the stuff that is happening in our lives. And what we want to do is we want to be worshipers in spirit and truth, which means this. We won't change the subject when Jesus brings up the truth. Like, what does it mean to be like a worshiping community that worships in spirit and truth? Jesus sets the agenda. Let's don't change the subject. All right, let's don't, like, like stop talking about temples and mountains if Jesus wants to talk about your marriage. Stop talking about places and tradition if Jesus wants to talk about anger and depression. Stop talking about technical theological conversations or, or whatever, is, whatever is our go-to. Stop talking about those things if Jesus wants to talk about, hey, you grew up with a super alcoholic dad and it's put some muscle memory in your emotions that are, you are now multiplying into your children right? Okay. Yeah.
Listen, um, Lord Jesus, help us. Lord Jesus, help us. That's what God's looking for. God is looking for lost people, but he's also looking for worshipers who will let him talk to them about their actual lives and bring them into alignment until our actual lives and the words that come out in worship match. Like that's the goal. Like we want to be able to say, Jesus, I love you. And there to be enough obedience in our life for God to go, I, I, I believe that. I believe that. I truly believe that. Uh, if you're here this morning, why don't you stand up? If you're on the worship team this morning, why don't you come on up? Come on up. And, and we're just going to pray this morning. I've preached a really challenging message this morning. Really challenging. And... Um, But the Spirit is here. He, he just wants to help us. Uh, the Spirit is here. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.